Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. All right, welcome into this week's edition of the Mac Report podcast. Ian Boshane here. No Mike McMahon this week. Mike's enjoying a little R and R. Hope he is uh, enjoying his vacation. Uh, much deserved for all the work that he does around here. Um, so you just got yours truly here. Uh, we're not going to be very long. Um, just going to recap real quickly here the basketball weekend. Um, take a look at the hockey side of things as well. Uh, and then we have a conversation coming up with the head coach of the men's basketball program, Joe Gallo. Sat down with him a little while ago and um, got his thoughts on the season to this point in time and uh, kind of looking ahead at what's coming up for men's hoops as we come down the home stretch of the basketball season. Um, since we last talked, only one game on the basketball side of things, so we'll be very, very brief here on that side of Warrior action. Um, Saturday afternoon, a spectacular crowd at Lawler Arena in what was a treat of a ball game. 71-68, the Warriors come out on top. Um, a back-and-forth affair, the opening seven-and-a-half minutes of this game Um Teams are just back and forth down the court, trading buckets. Um, Warriors able to sustain the offensive pressure and create turnovers as well on the defensive side of the ball. They forced 17 turnovers uh, from Central Connecticut. They got 18 points off of those turnovers. Um, Jordan Derkak once again leading the way for the Warriors. Uh, 22 points, had seven uh had seven turnovers of his own, excuse me. Um, four rebounds as well. Um, Devin Savage chipped in 15 points of his own. Bud Clark with another 10. Um, Warriors shot 47% from behind the three-point line, 10 of 21 uh, on the day, 57% from the free throw line, 11 of 19. Um, and with the win, the Warriors now sit in a tie for first place in the Northeast Conference um, as they have seven games remaining in their regular season. They will head to Long Island to take on the Sharks on Thursday, and then they will return home to welcome in the LeMoyne College Dolphins. Uh, LeMoyne and Merrimack, no strangers to facing off against one another as they were formerly big-time rivals Um in the Northeast 10 at the Division II level. Um, it was back and forth many, many times. A couple of uh, any 10 title games were 
battled out between the Warriors and the Dolphins. So Warriors took the earlier season matchup, uh, winning at LeMoyne. Um, and then LeMoyne will make the trip back to North Andover for the first time in a handful of years. Uh, the Warriors will then wrap up their regular season with a handful of games. Um, they still have yet to play Sacred Heart and Fairleigh Dickinson uh, their second times. And they also have another game with St. Francis in North Andover as well, having already made the trip out to Loretto, Pennsylvania for that. On the hockey side of things, um, the struggles continue. Uh, the Warriors swept over the weekend, losing on Friday night at home to UMass Amherst uh, by a final of 3-2. to two. And then Saturday night, the Warriors took the trip up to Durham to face off against New Hampshire for the first time this season. UNH came away with a 3-1 to one victory. Um, both Mike and I kind of talked about it at different points during the game and then following the game. Uh, afterwards, Scott Bora kind of had the similar comments, and I believe Mike had this in his post-game recap. Um, the injuries are just piling up with this team right now. I mean, you're missing a guy in Alex Jeffries who could make certainly make the argument that he is one of, if not in the collection of a top five player in the league when he's healthy and in the lineup. Um of course, Mac Welsher and Ethan Bono left uh, the game on Friday night against UMass, and neither one were in the lineup on Saturday up at New Hampshire. Um, so Scott, once again, was forced to roll out 11 forwards and seven defensemen. Obviously, that's not something that most coaches are hoping to do. Certainly, if you have a lineup that's capable of running out 11 forwards and seven defensemen, that certainly makes it a little bit easier uh, but it's not out of the want category here for Scott to be running out 11 and seven. Um, it's, it's just a tough situation right now. Um, the pairwise is almost now null and void. We kind of talked about that a little bit last week as well, um, where this team is going to need to string off some wins together um, in order to kind of jump up, not only in the standings, um, but also potentially try and get into a spot where they're hosting an opening round playoff matchup um, that first week of the playoffs in Hockey East. Um, Ty Deneau was the lone goal scorer on Saturday night for the, for the Warriors up against the Wildcats. On Friday night, the goals came from David Sacco and Ethan Bono. Um, and of course, as I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, Bono was then knocked out of the lineup a little bit later on and was not dressing and did not play on Saturday night up at New Hampshire. Looking ahead, it doesn't get a whole lot easier for the Warriors this coming weekend. They have their third and final matchup um, against Boston University. Um, sitting here on Monday afternoon, uh, recording this, uh, the Warriors might get a little bit of luck. Um, as far as catching BU at an inopportune time, of course, today's the first Monday of February, and if you're a college hockey fan in New England, you know that that means the bean pot. 
Uh, Northeastern and Harvard have the first game, and then Boston College and Boston University will meet for the third time in just over 10 days. Um, and then result-dependent BU could potentially be looking ahead to a Beanpot championship game on Monday night. So might be getting a little bit of an opportunity there to catch BU at a good time. Uh, it's just more importantly a question of whether or not you're going to be able to get some guys back into the lineup. Um, then following that, Saturday night, the University of New Hampshire will come to town as these teams will wrap up their two-game season series, meeting for the second time in a week. Uh, that game is 7 o'clock at Lawler Arena on Saturday. Um, and then following that, they'll take to the road for a pair of games up at Burlington uh, as they take on the University of Vermont for their two-game set this season. Uh, as I mentioned, just myself here today, so we're not going to dive into a whole lot. Just wanted to give folks out there a quick recap um, of the basketball and hockey standings. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout-out to the women's hockey program as well as the women went up to Orono and took a pair from the UMaine Black Bears uh, over the weekend um, as they swept the season series of course a couple weeks ago. They came back from a three-goal deficit with three minutes and change left in the third period to defeat the Black Bears at Lawler and this weekend they paired together a 3-2 overtime win and a 2-1 overtime win um up and uh, excuse me up at the Alfond Arena uh with the win or the wins I should say excuse me the warriors now jump the black bears and now sit in eighth place they do have a game in hand on the black bears uh they have a 2 point lead on Maine uh they are Sitting with 25 points, uh, they are three points behind Vermont for seventh place. Um, so if the playoffs were to begin today, the women's program would be hosting an opening round playoff matchup against the University of Maine, of course, if they can put together a few more wins here down the stretch um, and pile up some more points. Certainly, you'll continue to climb in the standings. Um, of course, last year, the women's program did take out Boston University as they went on the road in the first round of the playoffs and beat the Terriers at Walter Brown before falling to eventual hockey's champions Northeastern uh, in the first round or the quarterfinal round of the playoffs. So shout out to the women's program, a sweep of the Black Bears on the road up in Maine. They'll have a pair this weekend against New Hampshire uh, as well. So it's an all Wildcat hockey weekend. Friday night, they'll welcome in the Wildcats at 6 o'clock, and Saturday, they'll head up to Durham for 3 p.m. puck drop at the Whittemore Center. That'll do it for us here on this side of things. Um, again, thanks to Mike for allowing me to jump on and uh, keep the folks up to date on everything while he's away. Um, again, hope he's enjoying his sunshine and banana smoothies wherever he's posted up. Um, and without further ado, we'll be back in a moment with the head coach of the Merrimack men's basketball team, Joe Gallo. I'm Cole Caulfield and I played college hockey. I'm Adam Fox and I played college hockey. I'm Jake Gensel and I played college hockey. I'm Johnny Gaudreau and I played college hockey.
Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. For more information, visit collegehockeyinc.com. All right, here with Merrimack men's head basketball coach Joe Gallo. Coach, first of all, uh, thanks for taking some time and joining us here. Uh, how was the rest of your weekend following Saturday afternoon? Uh, um, it was great. Not a whole lot yesterday. You know, our, our uh, Sunday's off um, is usually just a lot of family time. So having a three and a seven-year-old, it's not a whole lot of true time off. Um, but we had a, a nice, uh, about as relaxing of a day as we could yesterday. Well, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, four wins in a row now for you guys following a 71-68 win over Central Connecticut State on Saturday. Um, how have you liked your response from your team the last couple uh, last couple outings following the loss at Central Connecticut and then the only home loss this season to Wagner uh, a couple weeks prior to that? Yeah, we've been great. And our whole, uh, you know, I even told them yesterday, uh, Saturday after the game, just their whole approach has been, been different. You know, I, I don't want to say we had – you know, we don't, we don't have a whole lot of bad practices. Um, but you know, since that, uh, that, you know, the back-to-back losses, just their approach and, um, you know, holding each other accountable, the, the following the scouting report and game plan, um, has just been at a little bit higher level, uh, over these last two weeks, ever since, you know, dropping those two in a row. I, I think a lot of people out there, especially, you know, some people that maybe don't follow the team as closely, um, weren't 100% sure what to expect out of this team with the departures of guys like Jordan Miner and Ziggy Reed from last year's team. Obviously, winning the conference title will do that. And, you know, you had a lot of guys coming back. But coming into this season, it was clear there were going to be some changes. Um, you guys went into the transfer portal and brought in a guy like Samba Diallo and Jacob O'Connell and have almost made that whole conversation at the start of the year a mute point now. What have those two guys specifically brought to this team up to now that it's allowed for that continued success following those guys' departures? Yeah, I mean, we we knew, um, you know, lo- losing uh, Jordan Miner and Ziggy Reed, uh, it, it's tough. You know, you're never going to replace that uh, exactly from a you know, productivity side of things, but uh, we, we did think it would be hard to replace with, with younger guys, especially in the front court. So, you know, we were looking for some older, experienced guys, um, guys that have been coached before, um, which both of them have been, um, both are, are true team guys. You know, we knew a lot of, um, people that have coached them both in high school and in AU. And we did a lot of, um, you know, vetting before figuring out who we actually wanted to bring into this program. And, and those two guys have been great. They're rock solid. They've been around, um, you know, Samba's in his sixth year now and, and Jacob in his fifth year, um, you know, Samba spent time in the Atlantic 10 where he started a lot of games at UMass. And then he was, you know, coached and pushed at, at Manhattan by, by coach Massiello. Um, and Jacob's coming off a team, uh, that just went to a sweet 16. So just two older veteran guys, um, kind of a calming influence on the team. You know, they don't get rattled by much, uh, and they're both very high IQ guys. So they, they were able to pick up, uh, the defensive side of things for us, uh, pretty seamlessly. Uh, uh, Good transition here. Playing playing the zone, obviously, it's a well-known fact that you guys are out there looking to create as much chaos on the defensive side of the ball as you guys can for your opponent each time they come down the floor. With that being said, you're more likely to lose rebounding battles along the glass, you know, just because of the way that you're stretching from, you know, the preventing opportunities from the three-point line, defending the threes, and things like that. How do you make up for the differences on the defensive side of the ball when you're 
maybe coming out on the short end of the rebounding battle and maybe teams are getting second and third looks on possessions at different times during the game. Yeah, the the turnover battle. You know, we try and dominate that turnover turnover battle. Um, you know, over the last seven, eight years now, we're almost a, a plus five every year. Um, and I think those turnovers are even more valuable than the rebounds because a lot of times, uh, you know, when you get a steal, you get a turnover, it leads to easy offense on the other end. So, you know, we we um our biggest thing with the rebounding is, you know, we don't want those rebounds to just lead to to point blank you know, second chance layups or lay-ins or dunks, you know, we feel like even if you get the second, uh, you know, second chance opportunity, if we could at least get our defense back set again, you're still going to have trouble scoring on us uh, that second time. So, you know, that is the one, you know, the one piece and, um, you know, probably some people point to uh, when we lose a game, but um, over the last eight years, I don't think there's a single game that I came in and said we would have won that game if we rebounded better. It's just kind of uh, goes along with the system we play. Yeah, even even this past weekend for you guys, 17 turnovers forced against Central Connecticut and led to 18 points off of their turnovers. So, I mean, even if you're looking at it, you're averaging, you know, over a point per turnover. Is That's also something, right, that you guys sort of preach on your side of things as well when we get the turnovers, take it the other way and, and really capitalize on it? Yeah, for sure, and especially with this team. You know, this is probably the fastest um... – We've played tempo-wise, you know, some of our, you know, best offense is in transition. Guys like, uh, you know, Samba can run the floor. Uh, uh, Jordan Durkak, uh, Bud Clark, Jalen Stinson, some of the best things they do are actually in transition. You know, if we, we have McCoy running the wing, Savage running the wing, getting some uh, early open threes. So we're really um, trying to get a quick early shot if we can off those turnovers. And if we don't, then we want to, you know, we, we talk about breaking responsibly. We just don't want to be, you know, reckless and throw up any shot in transition. But if we can, you know, get your basketball and turn it into a, a easy two or an open three, um, that's what we're going to try and do. I, I think one thing that impressed me was a couple of weeks ago in that Stonehill game, you guys attempted 41 threes and you and I had talked after the game in you said you weren't you weren't necessarily disappointed with the number of threes that you took. It was just more so, you know, maybe some of them coming early in shot clocks instead of you know trying to run an offensive set. Maybe get a couple of looks elsewhere. Um, is that something that you've kind of seen changed over the last couple of weeks now? Maybe guys aren't settling for that wide open three right away as opposed to maybe r- killing some time off the clock. You know, running your sets and and whatnot. Yeah, I think we're trying to put pressure on the rim first. Um, some of those threes in the Stonehill game were just quick kind of swing shot. Um, it, it's amazing if you get a paint touch first or at least something that threatens the paint and then the ball comes out, that three goes in a lot more times than when it's just going side to side. So, you know, we were, um, you know, even at halftime that Stonehill it was like, guys, we're okay with shooting some of these threes, um, but let's let's not, you know, some of the best things we do are in the paint. So let's, you know, we got... Our two, our starting backcourt are both, you know, fifty percent plus from two, which is pretty rare for guards. Um, so let's try and put some pressure on that rim first, and if that's taken away, then we could throw it out and get threes. Uh, going back to Saturday once again, uh, Gene Allen for Central Connecticut. He gave you guys a lot of trouble on the road down there at their place. You put more pressure on him and didn't really want to give him as much open space to take some of those uncontested or easier jump shots from within the paint or, you know, from the, from the elbow and and looks like that. How do you kind of 
review your films overall and, and take notes from a game like that where you know you're you're going to be facing a guy that has as much skill as he does you know when you get a team a second time around as we're at that point now where you're going to be facing teams for a second time in your schedule yeah he's a guy you know there there's a lot of guys that um you know Brian Atumnu and Jacob O'Connell um we'll just say you know what if you want to throw it there and play one on one we'll take our chances um with the way those guys can defend uh but Gene Allen Rose he's a little bit different and um probably um didn't realize how good he really was the first time we played. Um, we, we gave him too much space to operate. Uh, we left our fives just out on an island. So we tried to do a much better job of when he caught the ball to to try and make him a passer and, and um, really crowd him and kind of be in both gaps on both sides of him. And, uh, you know, if he puts the ball down on the floor, maybe try and go get his ball a couple times early and have him thinking about it, um, which we were able to do. So, you know, he still ended up having a really good game. He made a lot of those um, you know, kind of contested jumpers, which, you know, it might be the one shot that we'll actually live with at times. Um, but, you know, the adjustment was just to, to really try and crowd him a little bit more so it doesn't just feel like total one-on-one isolation. We're getting to the point now where everybody is familiar with the name Jordan Durkak in the league. He's now leading the league, uh, averaging 17.2 points a game um, when he's on the floor. He's a difference maker, and it's clear that his impact has been felt by some of the younger guys and a guy like Bud Clark, who's now won the NEC Rookie of the Week four times this season. Um, Do those guys allow your offense to run more from the outside and then, you know, look for matchups, whether it's setting a pickup high or, you know, relying on a big man to set a screen and open up a, a look for somebody else elsewhere. And is it more ball movement or is it more looking for the best matchups in those kinds of situations for you guys? Uh, I think just combination of all of it. You know, I think Bud and, Bud and Dirk are so good at getting the ball into the paint, you know, so we, with them, it's really stressing, you know, the decisions they make once they get in there. Um, they've both been great in conference. I think they're both pushing five plus assists a game. Um, once we got into league play. So, you know, we don't want to get stagnant and always try and score on the first side. Or do we do preach ball movement? Um, but, you know, those guys, like a guy like Dirk Heck, he's he's very unique. You know, he's um, a tough guy to scout. I don't really know what you would tell your team if, if you're playing against him because it's not like a guy that, you know, only shoots three. So you say, hey, just, you know, don't help off of him or um, force him left or force him this way. He's really just about um, toughness and how hard he plays. And it's kind of hard to tell your guy, just go out there and play harder than him because there's not a whole lot of people that do. So um, I'm just glad he's on our side. Uh, You know, he's really gives a lot of other guys confidence when when he's out on the floor and he's focused and he's, playing with that chip and that edge that, that we know he can bring. Um, and he's just been a, you know, he's been great. His, his jump from uh, freshman to sophomore year has, has been incredible, you know, player of the year uh, candidate um, probably should get the most improved player uh, as well, which is pretty rare. Now for you guys, when you guys bring in a point guard like Bud and you're, you're familiar with, you know, his past and his, his upbringing and, and his game and how he's developed, he's come in, and he's allowed a guy like Jordan to expand his role, and he's allowed for other guys as well. You know, you look at, you know, you mentioned Brian Atumnu a couple moments ago. He's a guy that's come in and has also allowed for, you know, 
another piece of your offense to contribute and a guy that is, you know, someone else that on the defensive side of the ball, if you're the opposing team, you got to account for him. Does it make your job easier as a coach when you have so many options or so many weapons on your in your offensive sets, you know, that other teams have to worry about, hey, we can't just lock in on this one guy or this secondary guy. You know, we have five guys that have the ability to score the ball each night. Yeah, um, I would say where it really helps is after the set, you know, when the set doesn't work, the play after the play. Uh, you know, we talked about that with the guys a little bit today, this time of year, especially in playoffs. You know, everybody has a game plan. Everybody's taken away option one or two. Everybody knows your plays. Everybody knows your calls. Um, and then it comes down to who can make that play after the play. And I think, you know, with this year's team, you know, having um, multiple options, um, you know, we've been much better, you know, late in shot clock of, you know, get into a second action, get into a third action, uh, you know, trusting that that next guy that ends up with the ball in his hands is able to make a play. So uh, it's really made our job easier, um, you know, kind of late clock. And when that play breaks bent down, having multiple guys that can make plays. We, we kind of already touched on this, but we're getting to the point of the schedule here where every possession matters, every you know, half matters. Every game matters now more than it did at the beginning of the year with the non-conference schedule. When you're looking at your schedule early on, you had games at Ohio State, Georgetown, Florida, Cincinnati. Do playing those early season road games against groups of Power 5 teams build your team up for the stretch run that they have coming up, knowing that if you have a chance to hang with guys or teams of that caliber, that it not necessarily might make it easier but they have the confidence when it's a one possession ball game late and they need to make a defensive stop or it's a one possession game and they're looking for a bucket late to maybe try and tie the game and or win the game. I think so. I mean, we've always played a really tough non-conference schedule. Um, you know, the one thing you got to be careful is that guys don't lose confidence because you lose a bunch of those games and making sure they realize, Hey, we're going to be really good. We're going to be fine. Once conference uh, conference comes. Um, I think that's probably the biggest struggle with some of those games is, um, you know, they're tough. Like those teams don't lose a whole lot of games at home. Um, but I think it does prepare us for life on the road in conference. Um, but conference basketball is just such a different animal. You know, you could point back to it, um, but it's, it's really short-term memory next matchup, um, you know, where the game's at, you know, all those things, uh, come into a play. Once you get into conference play, you know, you see it all the time randomly, um, there's a lot of upsets or what people would say are upsets in conference, but it's really just conference basketball. Everyone's got a shot to beat everybody every night. You mentioned a lot of those teams not having a chance, you know, they don't really lose a whole lot of games at home up until that Wagner game. You guys had carried over a 13 straight, you know, home winning streak. And it's picked right back up after that loss. You've won your last three at home since then. But I mean, with, Everything that we kind of talked about, and especially on Saturday too, post game in that game at Lawler, what does it mean to have that kind of home court advantage for you guys? And especially, I would, I you know, homerism aside here, I I, I think that Lawler basketball, and then even over at Hamill when you guys are over at Hamill, you know, people are showing up, they're packing the gyms, and you know, they're they're sitting elbow to elbow and Merrimack basketball has become a very very tough place to try and go win a go win a game on the road. What, what does that mean for you? And what does that mean for the program as a whole? 
Yeah, it's been great to see. And it's not only the students, you know, I think we we probably sold more non-student tickets than we ever have in a game um, this this past Saturday. Um, you know, it's a basketball area. Like the, um, you know, when we had the Christmas tournament here in the Andover or Central Catholic or North Andover Lawrence or whatever it may be, you know, those games had 2000 plus people at them. So people in this area really like good basketball. Um, you know, I think we're a great product. We, we play uh you know, it's exciting to come watch our guys compete um, and we're getting it from both sides. You know, the students have been awesome. You know, I, I hope everyone continues to, to show up. We're going to, you know, as, you know, that game was, you know, marketed as for first place, but now they're all for first place, right? Every game we play is for first place. So, um, yeah, it's been great. Our guys, you know, they go through, you know, their same routine when they're at home, they sleep in their own beds. Um, and then it's great to have a bunch of people show up and, and watching how work, how hard they worked and cheering you on is gives us an extra boost. So, you know, hopefully it, it continues. And, you know, the big thing with the, the Northeast Conference is there is no neutral site for our conference playoffs. So, you know, the better seed you are, you know, I'm a huge fan in, in regular season championships. I just think that is who you are as a program. Um, you know, March is awesome and you it's the funnest time of the year and it's the coolest you know, one, you know, the Super Bowl and the NCAA tournament and the World Cup are all kind of, you know, probably the three best uh, sporting events there are out there to me. Um, but who you really are as a program, I think, shows in those regular season championships because, you know, you can't have a bad week. If you have a bad week and you go 0-2, all of a sudden you can go from first to fourth. Um, you know, and we've been very fortunate here to, you know, we've, we've won two of the last four and now we're right back in the hunt to, to win a third one. Yeah, being a kid that grew up in the Lawrence area, I mean, I'm I'm familiar with the high school basketball, and it, it it's true. I mean, high school basketball in Massachusetts is has always been a high standard, and I grew up going to the Central Catholic games when guys like Carson DeRozier was playing there, and they were going out to, you know, the DCU Center in Worcester, or they were going to the TD Garden and, and things like that. So, it it definitely is good to see, you know, the same kind of turnouts coming in, game in and game out for you guys. And it definitely does mean a lot, especially when the local community is is more so connected to it than, you know, your students are because they go to school there. Sure. Yeah, it's it's been great. Um it seems, you know, obviously the division one move has helped. Um, but there's just a, a really good buzz around here about, you know, our our program and um, you know, that's a, a credit to our guys and you know, guys that have been here, guys in the past, guys currently on the roster, um, you know, they, they put in a lot of work and they take a lot of pride in the program. And I'm glad that it's, it's showing. Just real quickly here, kind of looking ahead at you guys got a game coming up Thursday night. You'll be at LIU. You'll return home on Saturday to face Lemoyne. Uh, this is an LIU program that you're seeing for the first time this season. Um, struggling a little bit this season, but what are a couple of things that you guys are kind of looking at? At, in their tape and uh, as you get ready to face them for the first time and then you'll face them again for a second time, you know, uh, nine days later. Yeah. Um, you know, very talented. Uh, they have really good guard, you know, Eric Acker is a, a you know, him and Bud Clark are probably um, two or three guys that have a, a chance to be the rookie of the year in the league. Uh, Coach Strickland, um, he brought his two sons in um, this year that are both, you know, one has been playing, one is not, but, um, very talented. So it's a very, very talented roster, much, much revamped roster from a year ago. Um, and, and, you know, it's tough to look at their overall record because they, like a lot of us, um, at our level, they played a really tough non-conference schedule. So, you know, I think they've only played, I want to say five or six home games total. 
um, and, and, you know, 15, 16 road games. So uh, they're, they're just getting into the swing of things in conference play. And, you know, we got to be able to, to defend. They make a lot of, um, they have a lot of different guys that can go get a basket. So, you know, it's going to be a lot of team defense, but also some, you know, late shot clock, uh, sitting down in a stance and being able to guard some of these guys uh, and get some stops. Head coaches obviously get, you know, majority of the credit for their team's success, but, you know, we both know that a head coach is only as good as the staff that they have around them. This season you brought in a couple new assistants in Chris Moore and a guy that I was more than familiar with from his time playing there in Javaris Hayes. What have, what have they kind of brought to your staff and how have they contributed, you know, alongside Phil and Mickey, you know, with you yeah they've been great and, and cedric cedric gillette who's you know our ga and he played here uh local handover high school kid good high school basketball player was a, a pitcher on our baseball team here um it's a great staff you know everybody gets along there's no agendas um you know it's been great to have javaris back he just finished playing professionally he was you know he was one of these guys two three years ago so he can relate to a lot of things they're going through and you know he's been coached by me and he knows um knows the system inside and out and uh, Chris Moore is a guy I've known forever. He was an assistant coach um, when I was a player um, and someone that, you know, he was in my wedding party and a guy that I just really trust. And he's been around, um, you know, he's been the associate head coach at at New Hampshire, who, you know, has had a great run. Uh, they finished, I was just looking at it yesterday. They finished in the top four in the America East, you know, five times in the last seven or eight years. So, you know, he's seen a lot of games. Um, he's, you know, kind of a, He's like the older vet on the staff now that, that you see guys kind of going to and having some side conversation with. Um, and it's just a, a well-balanced staff where everybody really complements each other well. Just a little more specifically focusing in here on Javaris, how with him being a point guard and how effective he was at creating those turnovers and really, you know, amping up defensively on that side of the ball, what what has he meant for the development of guys like Bud or Jordan in allowing them to continue to grow and sort of using his experience to say, Hey, look, this is, these are the kinds of things that we're looking at, or these are, you know, the different areas that you should pay a little bit more attention to on this upcoming possession. We saw him run, you know, this set last time, maybe they might try and flip it and go here with it. And, you know, just kind of talk about him a little bit more. Yeah. He's um. well, the, the, probably the best part about it is he can still get out there and do all the things, right? So if you came and watched practice, um, you know, I just told our guys before the last game, uh, our backcourt of our scout team is uh, Javaris Hayes and Malik Edmead, who is sitting out this year and he's going to play That's next pretty year. good. I'm not sure if there's a, a better backcourt um, in our league that we'll play against that's better than Javaris and Malik. So being able that he can still get out there and sweat with the guys and um, again, he's not much older than him, so he can, you know, it, it comes from a little bit different, you know, language when he can talk about his time playing here and what worked and he can show them film of himself. Um, really, that was not a, a, a long time ago. So, yeah, he's been a, he's been a great addition. Um, our guys love him. You know, he's, he's around our guys all the time. He spends a lot of time in the locker room with them. You know, at halftime, he's the first guy in the locker room as, you know, other coaches might be meeting about some stuff. He's in there kind of either common guys get down or getting guys up. Um, and it's just been a great, uh, it's just been a great addition. Coach, appreciate you taking some time and uh, best of luck this upcoming week as you head to LIU on Thursday. And 
back home on Saturday against Lemoyne. Uh, folks, get on out, grab your tickets. Students, get on out to the SAC uh, and other spots where they're sell- giving out your uh, tickets. And uh, a lot of good basketball coming down the stretch here. And, uh, Coach, thanks again. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you.